So it comes back to that scalability of if you work twice as hard, are you going to make twice as much? Or could you bring somebody else in that's three times as good at that one thing and really help out growing your, your business? That's the voice of Austin Waldo, founder of the Texas Woodworking Festival. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsors. Introducing Astra HP, the newest high-performance innovation in cutting-edge technology from bits and bits. Let me tell you what's new about it. It's incredibly thin, measuring at just 0.3 microns. It's also tougher than ever with an impressive 5,000 Vickers hardness, and it's specially designed to reduce friction and heat buildup, leading to cleaner cuts and longer tool life. Available now on all their newest spiral CNC bits and router bits. So if you want to check it out yourself, go to bitsbits.com. That's B-I-T-S, B-I-T-S dot com. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Austin Waldo, founder of the Texas Woodworking Festival. We talk a lot about building a community on this show, and Austin is taking that idea and giving it a physical form. So why not celebrate that? This episode is not only a look behind the scenes at the Texas Woodworking Festival, but also an overall conversation on marketing, brand development, and how you can use it in your own business. As you might remember, Austin was on the show before, back on episode 137. So if you want to hear his backstory and learn a little bit more about his furniture company and the school that he started, the Austin School of Furniture, please take a listen to that episode before you go further. And when you're ready, follow along as we talk about digital marketing for your business, growing your own brand, the Texas Woodworking Festival origin story, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Austin's journey in his own words. Austin, we are back, and this is actually your second interview, and we are talking about some of the same things we talked about in the first interview, but I want to get more in-depth about some more marketing and some more business-related topics, because in the last episode, a lot of people really related to that and wanted to hear more on it, so I'm happy to have you back, and if people do want to listen more to your backstory, they can listen to the episode before, but let's get right into it, and I, I want to talk about marketing, and I want to talk about selling yourself in this digital environment, and I think the best way to do that is to talk about your newest and probably top of mind concept, and that is the Texas Woodworking Festival. And it's been going on for a couple of years and you've had highs and lows and you've had marketing success and I'm sure things that didn't go so well. So if you could give us some backstory on just how the Texas Woodworking Festival got started, and then we can get into more of how you're promoting it. Great. Well, yeah, thanks for having me back. I, you know, the one thing I do have going for myself is uh, maybe the relatability of my, my marketing experience and the fact that I still haven't figured it out yet. I'm, I'm still on that journey of figuring out what works and what doesn't. Uh, and there are a lot of those types of woodworkers and furniture makers out there that are trying to figure out how to market and sell themselves and, and what works for them. So I am definitely still trying to figure things out and what works for myself personally for the, the Austin School of Furniture and of course the, the Texas Woodworking Festival. 
Yeah, and, and so the Texas Woodworking Festival had a, a very organic growth, especially in, in its size. You know, it was started out of the meetup group that I run. The original intention was, okay, we have a, a general woodworking group where we meet at breweries and it's kind of a social hour. So it's, it's uh, a drinking club with a woodworking problem. And then there was a separate club for the wood turners and there was a separate club for the hand tool users. And then there's a separate club for this and that. Let's try to get all those clubs in the central Texas area to come together once a year for a group meetup. So that was the idea originally for this event. And in that sense, it, it didn't really work. The other clubs uh, weren't really that interested in having this this kind of group event. And why would they market to, to more members? Anyways, we still just did it without them. And we had it at a brewery. The event got so big that they had to call in security to actually check numbers to make sure they weren't exceeding fire code and had one in one out to a, a large brewery for a woodworking event. So that went from this kind of fun, slightly larger meeting to I, I think there's something here that that people want. And it seemed like there was something that we could do to to provide a, a solution for what people were, were kind of wanting, whether that's education with the school or, you know, an event in Austin or the central Texas area. So from there, that next year, we started the Texas Woodworking Festival officially and had actual exhibitors and paid tickets and, and it just kept growing each year. Now, you started this basically word of mouth, like a number of furniture businesses start and a number of businesses in general start. You were talking to the people you know, talking to the people that you came into contact with on a regular basis, but you saw that there was growth, just like in a furniture company, you outgrow your friends and family and the people who are your neighbors, and you want to get this out to more people. So that second year, what were you doing building up to it to start getting worldwide appeal? And I know that you have a digital marketing background. You have a, a strong understanding of how to get the word out. So let's talk about that and what you started to do to get the festival's name out there that could be equated to also trying to start a furniture business and get that out there as well. Yeah, I think no matter what you're doing, whether it's it's business or just trying to live a, a happy life, having a community around you of, of like-minded individuals for that particular hobby or passion, I think is really important. So in your area, that community may not exist. And if you can meet one person that that you know wants to be a part of a, a similar community, then you might have something that you could you could start. So I had the the benefit of having already started my woodworking club, and was the majority of the people that were in that club were on the younger side of of woodworkers that liked to uh, not only woodwork but drink beer and obviously doing those separately and you know being social so i had this group that i could use as my own marketing focus group of okay on this particular day we have a happy hour 
I'm going to bring a list of questions and just see what, what people say is, okay, if you came to a woodworking event, what would you want to do? And being in Austin, you know, some of the different things were, well, I want good beer. I want good food. I want live music and I want woodworking demonstrations, exhibitors. So I had this, this marketing focus group at my fingertips where I could come up with ideas and propose things and get feedback because I have the tendency to come up with all these ideas, but be so close to these that I think it's a great idea. And then I start asking the people who might be taking advantage of that, that, oh, no, we don't really want that. We don't need that or that already exists. So if you can be a part of a community or start your own community, not only can you use that group to spin off and create something else, but when you do start something, your own furniture business or school or event, then you already have those people that are ready to support you. And that's really key to the, the, the first official year. So the second Texas Woodworking Festival, all my friends that were in that club, they were the volunteers that were there helping me set up. We had to add a woodworking collective that let us rent out their space to, to have all these exhibitors and people. And so all those people were, were really vital to the, the first official year of the festival. We all know that people do have different opinions and it is important when you're too close to an idea that you need to step back because I see that all the time with companies and with people starting where they say, this is an idea that I'm hyper focused on and I really want to bring it to market. And I ask them, well, have you have you talked with people? Have you have you asked if other people want this type of furniture or want this type of service? And they say, not really. This is this is my passion. This is my passion project. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to I don't want to put people off following their dreams. But in a world where dreams and getting money for those dreams are very close together, you need to understand your market to at least get off the ground before you can start doing your own thing necessarily. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me with, you know, having uh, an entrepreneurial mind of coming up with all these ideas, I simultaneously like to set some sort of value to, to the risk of that idea, where if it's a website, you know, having a digital background uh, and my own server, cool, build a website, you know, it might be 10 extra bucks a month. There's not really a whole lot of risk. Just build it, put that idea out there, try it. If it doesn't work, no big deal. But, you know, if you're going to go out and buy a hundred grand worth of machines before you even know that you have the clients that want to buy the things that you're going to make, you know, that's a big risk. So you definitely want to do your due diligence to, to make sure that there's actually a, a niche for that product. A hundred percent. It's uh, it's no fun having all of the the get up and go with without any place to go with it. So for sure, yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk about how you were actually getting the word out past just the word of mouth, just the local people. What was that marketing plan? What was that strategy to start getting this thing that you saw had legs to a wider audience? Yeah. Yeah, we, we break it down into the kind of geographical regions that we're targeting and kind of allocate a budget of sorts 
based on you know prior numbers of, of who's attended the event. So that would be, okay, what marketing are we going to do for the city of Austin and its, its surrounding suburbs? What marketing are we going to do for Texas and maybe the couple states that are uh, within one day's driving distance, which one day's driving distance in Texas is is relative because depending on which corner you're driving from, it might not be a day, but Texas and then the, a couple states. And then there's the the rest of, of North America, and that could include Canada and Mexico uh, to travel into the event as well. So all of those regions are going to have different strategies based on the distance from Austin, how much money they're going to have to spend to get to the event, and obviously how large that area is. So, you know, it's really easy within the city of Austin to, to reach out to the, the local woodworking clubs and the local woodworking stores uh, and have them help out with some marketing. But if you try to do that in every city of every state, that's uh, untenable for sure. So the wider the, the region gets, the more we look for a scalable marketing solution, which the most scalable tends to be those paid advertisements. So PPC, whether it's on you know Google or the other search engines to Instagram, Facebook, uh, any type of, of digital kind of pay-per-click marketing that tends to be really uh, scalable and, and a, a good use of your budget. And then kind of you get closer in, we'll look at less scalable options, which might be some sort of uh, publication, whether it's a woodworking magazine or mailers or newsletters of, of certain clubs to coming down into Austin where it's, you know, the woodworking clubs that we know personally that I can go and talk to, handing out actual flyers. Uh, letting the school know, putting up posters at those actual woodworking locations, uh, even to you know localized radio ads and and physical signage outside, things like that. I want to talk a little bit more about the the digital ad buys and and what that entails because a lot of people see social media as an organic platform where they post and they hope that people like it. And they put it out there and, and they say, I can't really control this. And that's fine when you're putting up a picture of you eating a bagel. But if your social media is your marketing and your your major marketing tool, then you want to be able to focus on getting eyes on those posts and that work so you can get business. So let's get a little bit deeper into actual ad buys and how that looks from your end when you're thinking about reaching people all across the country. The most powerful component of of the paid advertising is also a lot of the reasons that, that people don't like social media. Um, and that's the fact that they have a lot of information, a lot of data on, on all of us. And that is anything from where you're located to what what you are seeing on Instagram and what you're liking and what you're doing and what your hobbies are. We'll probably won't get into the, the full philosophy of, of, you know, data processing and tracking and mining and all of that, but it, it's helpful to know that, okay, if I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on, on this particular ad, if, if somebody has zero interest in woodworking is never going to do it and never going to come to a show that I'm not wasting my money showing them an advertisement about the festival, letting them know about it. But somebody has probably already indicated in some way on social media that they like 
woodworking and within a certain region that we want to let people know about it, then we have that information to say, okay, here's a thousand dollars, show this to woodworkers in my area and hopefully they'll see it and want to come to the event. So just being able to drill down on where and who is is seeing this is is really helpful. How important do you think your social media is versus your website and putting effort into getting your website for the show very high on rankings and coming up in search results versus putting money and time into your organic social and also your ad buys on social? Yeah, that's a great question. I have always been of the mindset that your website is number one. That's where that's where all the magic's happening. That's where people are going to actually go to buy tickets. But if you don't do anything else, the likelihood that someone will find your website by themselves is, is very low. So you need your social media to not only let people know things that are more time sensitive of, hey, something's happened or, hey, I'm doing this today, to, but also to drive traffic to that website to get them to actually purchase your piece of furniture or, or grab a ticket to the festival. So you really do need the social media or other types of advertisement to get people to your your website. So it's you know it's a funnel that's letting people know and hopefully driving them to your website where you're going to get that revenue. Let's talk a little bit about branding and how that plays into all of the different things we've already talked about. How important is it in your mind and from your experience to really make your brand something that stands out or is it just important to get as much eyes on what you're doing as possible and you don't really need to focus that brand yeah i'm i'm a sucker for good branding um and i i did a little bit of of graphic design in college and then did a little bit of it uh, after college in in a, a community college just one because i i find it to be really fun to to draw you know, with an illustrator and some of the other programs. So when I see a good logo, one, it's it's really memorable. And two, I think it does provide a lot of credibility that this person is trying to build something that they want to continue to be recognized as a separate kind of entity. It's this business, it has a name. Uh, and I think if you spent time to create not only a good logo, but a whole entire branding system and identity that can be in my mind, not only uh, really beneficial to the the company, but is just, it's a lot more fun. I, anytime I see a really good creative logo uh, that makes me happy. And I think there are a lot of people out there that, that see a really good, clean, creative brand identity that kind of resonates with them. It sticks, sticks with them. So um, I also like to equate it to furniture making that you're you're gonna get what you pay for. So if you get a logo made on Fiverr for fifty bucks, that's great, and that, if that's what you can do, that's great. But if you go to a graphic designer that's actually going to do research and come up with a whole system for you, you're gonna spend a couple thousand bucks at least. And I think I think you should take that as your business grows. I don't think you need to jump into before you've ever bought a machine go spend four or $5,000 on, on branding. 
But I think down the road, once you have customers and clients, you want to give them a whole system that that they're going to remember uh, and that will kind of keep them coming back. Do you spend all this time building your own brand? And yes, it could be a visual brand, but it's also a brand of how you want to do your business and how you want to run things and how you want to present what you're doing, be it a festival or a school or a furniture company or a product company to the world. And then when you start bringing other people in, you want them to be a part of that brand, but they are are different people and you can't always control and micromanage everything that happens in your company. This was something you started, an idea that you started, and you had that brand awareness in your head. But as more and more people start either being a part of it as people working the show or people coming in as guest speakers, how are you keeping that brand identity where you want it to be with so many other voices in the room? Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you have that company, that brand that you start to bring people in to, to kind of help you. And just from a, you know, a logistical standpoint that that has happened this last year with uh, this last year was the first year that I had a event company that was helping to, to coordinate things. And yeah, you, I no longer am the one that's answering every single email and doing every single thing for the festival. So how do you keep that not just visual identity, but like you said, kind of the feeling of the event going. And I think you as the the owner for whatever company it is have to kind of set the tone and the, the, the vision of this company to where that is easy for people to pick up on. And when they come to work for you, they're able to kind of carry that that forward. So you're the one that's driving this bus, but you should get the right people on the bus to keep it going the right way that you want. So that's basically interviewing and being able to interview and bring in the right people. Is there anything that you've learned over these past couple of years about how to identify the people who you think have that same brand awareness or have the same brand awareness that you specifically are pushing for? Well, I, I think this would be the one thing that I would probably give as as not uh, a great business tip, um, but it's I I tend to want to work with my friends, and that's because the same thing that attracts me to a person business wise is a, is the same thing that I reason I want to be friends with them is they want to have fun, but yet want to work hard and can kind of get the feeling of the the school or the event and have some sort of skill set that I may not may not have. So eventually you not only have all these people surrounded you that really understand what you're doing, but at some point you want to hire somebody that's better than you at a particular thing. So usually it's not a good idea to work with friends and family, especially when you're having some sort of legal contract, but at this point, I have found that some of the best uh, employees are people that I'm already friends with. Do that at your own risk, but but I think somebody that you could possibly be friends with is more likely to pick up on your your dream and your vision and understand that to where they can help you continue to grow that. Staying on this brand development road that I think is 
incredibly wide as your business or in your case, the show starts to expand, it goes in different directions, be it because of you taking it in new directions or the people you bring it in taking in new directions or outside influences taking it in new directions. Nothing stays the same once it gets out into the world and you need to continue to develop how you want it to look. That can be a really tough thing and a lot of people can fight it. When you have an idea for a furniture company and you want to do a specific type of furniture and you keep banging your head against the wall because nobody's buying that furniture, you have the option to keep doing that or to change what you're doing. And so as your businesses have expanded, how have you been able to keep an open mind and understand what's happening and what's around you and incorporate that rather than push that away to continue to be successful in the things that you're doing. Yeah, I think you always have to be listening to your your customers and what they actually want. And I, I think everybody needs to be open to changing the, themselves as well as whatever their business might be. And sometimes that's that's maybe to a, a direction you might not want to go. But if you want to keep your business growing, that may be something that isn't up to you. If, if your customers only want something of a particular wood species and you can't sell anything else, then that may be the direction you need to go. Or you need to figure out a way to show them the value of a, of a different direction. The pandemic obviously changed a lot when it comes to in-person events. And I think having an ability to see what people might be wanting on a remote or digital event kind of level, you have to think about, you know, what what would actually work? What do people actually want to do? Is there a way that we can do that? Um, and how, how much risk is associated with that? And then how scalable it is. So we're always looking at things for the school or for the festival and in terms of what do people want? And is that that scalable? Because I've found that that's one of the biggest problems for for woodworking is is the scalability where in digital marketing whatever it might be it's it's pretty easy to scale digital things where you put in just a little bit of effort and you get quite a bit more uh, results but for us we we can only fit so many people in our shop at one time so that class isn't necessarily all that scalable the scalability factor in furniture companies or in anything that's physical at all is always a big problem and and a lot of people's breaking points where they have the business and they can't do it fast enough or they can't make enough of what they need to do to get over that hurdle of profitability. You hit a point where it's no longer you. You need to work with other people and you need to be able to communicate and and bring in other people to fulfill your dreams and hopefully fulfill their dreams. If they're the right employees or they're the right people working with you, then their goals should be the same as yours. When you're working with people, be it in the school or at the festival or in your own furniture company, how are you pulling out the best from them and in turn, letting them see the best in you so you can work together to reach a common goal? 
Yeah, I so I think one of the most important values that someone can have in themselves is the, the ability to be self-aware, to understand what your own strengths and weaknesses are, and then being able to translate that into somebody that you're working with where you're able to identify what they're really good at and maybe what their weaknesses are. And then when you start to see, well, I'm really bad at this, but this person's really good at that, that seems like we could partner up and we could be you know, that much better. So it comes back to that scalability of if you work twice as hard, are you going to make twice as much? Or could you bring somebody else in that's three times as good at that one thing and really help out growing your your business or even um, even maybe this is a whole nother podcast, but even just outsourcing things of yes, as furniture makers, there's there's upholstery and there's finishing and there's all these other aspects of it that we should all know how to do. But I could staple some leather on the back of a seat or I can outsource that to my next door neighbor who has nothing but a, a leather upholstery shop and is far, far faster and better at that than I am. So I think identify what you're not very good at or where your time value is a little bit off of somebody else can come in and do that. And you start to identify those in other furniture makers or, or influencers. And then you can start to assess, well, let's work together. And I think we'll be more than twice as good at whatever it is we're trying to do. That's all great information. And I'm glad to have had you back on this again. And I, I think that you having this this high up view, seeing and interacting with and talking with all these different furniture makers has really given you a deeper understanding of the industry as a whole and all the offshoots from it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's a good point to make is is uh, I really love the the festival because for most things that I end up starting, it's because it's something that I want to do that doesn't exist. So the the festival is meant to be a lot of fun and it just happens to be woodworking themed. So the, the festival is happening this year in November. Tickets go on sale May 1st and we'll have all different ticket levels for those that want to attend in person as well as digitally. And then the, the event is held here in Austin at the Palmer Event Center. Um, but yeah, we're always looking to get the name out there and, and have as many woodworkers come to Austin and have a great time as, as possible. Fantastic. Well, thanks again so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it and wishing you nothing but success in all the different woodworking and furniture related businesses that you do. I appreciate that. Well, thanks for having me back. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.